This is Rahatsu Soshin, 2014. This is the fifth talk. It's wonderful to be sitting with everybody. It's wonderful to have this whole group come together with such presence and such uh, intention. The quality of the Zendo, the quality of the Zazen is very, very uh, wonderful, very inspiring. So I'm really honored to be here with everyone. We're using this text from Dogen's Shobogenzo, True Eye of the Dharma Law, called uh, Seeing the Buddha. So I'll read a little bit about this text, and then we'll go from there. Ru Jing, my late master, old Buddha Tiantong, said, King Prasenajit asked Pindola. King Prasenajit was one of the uh, uh, rulers of a kingdom at the time of the Buddha. Either Magadha or next to it, somewhere Kosala. And Pindola was one of the 16 Arahats, the Japanese translation. Venerable Master, I hear you personally have seen the Buddha. Is it true? Pindola responded by brushing up his eyebrows with his hands. And some, some places they just say he raised his eyebrows. Uh, some people are kind of implied that the eyebrows were really long and he lifted them with his hands. But he did a a little gesture. Then Rujing taught in a verse. Pindola raised his eyebrows and answered the king's question. No doubt he had personally seen the Buddha. Until now, he has been worthy of offerings from the four quarters of the world. Of course, until now means maybe he was worthy of offerings up until he started showing the truth like that, and then maybe not after that. Spring is within a plum twig, bearing the snow, cold. Spring is inside the plum twigs, which bear the snow and the cold. Seeing the Buddha here does not mean seeing the Buddha as yourself, or seeing the Buddha as something other. But it means seeing the Buddha Shakyamuni. Because one branch of plum blossoms sees one branch of plum blossoms. Because of this, blossoms are open, bright, and clear. The king's question was whether Pindola had seen the Buddha and become a Buddha. Of course, that's all of our questions. So Dogen is asking this for our benefit. The king is asking it for our benefit. Dogen is reciting it for our benefit. Ru Jing is calling it for our benefit. Have we seen the Buddha and become a Buddha? Pindola clearly raised his eyebrows. This was the proof that he had seen the Buddha. This should not be confused. This fact has not ceased until now, revealing that Pindola is worthy of offerings. Thus, the fact that Pindola had personally seen the Buddha cannot be doubted. The question, have you personally seen the Buddha? Have you personally seen the Buddha? Meant whether Pindola had seen the Buddha in this way, not about seeing the 32 marks of the Buddha, that is, the, the external signs of the Buddha, the, the qualities that the Theravadan Sutras talk about, the 32 aspects that indicate somebody is a Buddha. Seeing the 32 marks of a Buddha can be done by anybody. Anybody can look at this thing behind us. The question is, have we seen the Buddha, the intimate Buddha? And is there anyone who can do the seeing? 
continues, there are a number of humans, devas, shravakas, and pratyeka buddhas, who do not know the meaning of truly seeing the Buddha, and say they haven't seen the Buddha. That is, they have not had the direct experience, and they say they haven't seen the Buddha. It's just like saying they have hardly seen a whisk being raised, although they see a whisk being raised quite often. A whisk was a sign uh, of a teacher in uh, ancient China. So often they would have the uh, hosu, the, the, the horsehair whisk, um, and they would be would hang on, be hanging on their chair. And there are a number of koans where the teacher picks up the whisk or flops it around or gives it to somebody as a, as a sign of transmission of teaching or a sign of expression of teaching. So it means that we've hardly heard the teaching at all, although we've heard lots of teaching. That is, we have hardly experienced the teaching for ourselves. We don't know the we haven't experienced the actual meaning of the Buddha's words, even though we may have heard and read them lots and lots. To see the Buddha is to be seen by the Buddha. However hard you may try to hide it, your seeing the Buddha comes forth, lets itself leak out. So all of us are leaky Buddhas. This is how seeing the Buddha works. Endeavor with your body and mind, as numerous as the sands of the Ganges, and investigate thoroughly the meaning of Pindola's raising his eyebrows. Even if you live together with Shakyamuni Buddha day and night for 100, 1,000, or 10,000 eons, if you did not have the ability to raise your eyebrows, this would not be seeing the Buddha. On the other hand, even if you are far away from the Buddha, by hundreds of thousands of miles, or by over 2,000 years, if you personally actualize the ability to raise your eyebrows, you have seen Shakyamuni Buddha ever since the time before the king of the empty eons, that is, endless time. It is seeing one branch of plum blossoms, seeing spring in a branch of plum blossoms. Thus, personally seeing the Buddha is formally bowing three times, greeting with the hands joined together, smiling, a fist striking thunder, sitting on the cushion in meditation posture. So Dirk Dogen, as most of us know who've tried to read Dogen, is, uh, talks in such amazing language. He, he will talk from one side, the other side, inside, outside, all from the same point. But in a way, it's very simple. Awareness sees awareness. Awareness is awareness. Sometimes awareness sees things. Sometimes we forget awareness and we only become aware of things. From the view of things, that is, from the view of the individual of me, my small little fixed idea about things, then there is me and there is awareness. But from the view of awareness, there's only awareness. We're going to break this down a little bit because this is about what is the direct experience right here, right now of your own practice. Each person here is completely, totally aware. And it's not as though we are somehow in this little lump and we are aware of something else, but awareness itself is aware of the little lump. Now, in our tradition, there are a number of, of, of teachings that talk about different aspects of dharma and insight. Sometimes they're looked at sequentially, like five ranks or the ten oxidating pictures. Sometimes 
they, they're just simply talking about different aspects, different facets. We chant the precious mirror of samadhi, the sandokai, harmony of differences, sameness, identity of relative and absolute, the two different chants that are both from the, the Soto Zen Buddhist, the Gong tradition. And they talk about different ways of looking at reality, <clears throat> different ways of looking at awareness. So they talk about you can look at awareness, you can look at reality from the inside out. I'm nothing but awareness, and I'm looking out and seeing all these things, all these sweet-looking lumps. Or I'm from the outside looking in. I am here in this particular little chaotic collection of molecules and atoms and muscles and sinews and bones, and I'm looking in, trying to see some awareness, some something that's inside. Or we can have the state where inside of us and outside of us are not two different things, that there's not someone inside seeing something outside. They're one thing. They're not different. We can forget the distinction completely. There's also the aspect of functioning. When you see the Buddha, how does the Buddha function? There's the aspect of stillness. There's lots of different aspects of, of this. So our tradition talks about sequential or different facets of teaching. So first place that we have to work with, and we have already worked a lot with this during the Sashin, is that in Sashin, all the stories about ourselves, our practice, our lives, our hard times, our history, our future are irrelevant. What is relevant is what is essential. As, as Dogen says, seeing the Buddha is essential. And so we're going to be using, and we have been using, our particular method or tool or view or approach, whatever you want to call it, as a way of looking directly at what is most intimate, what is most intimate right here, right now. Right here, right now, if you turn your awareness right to awareness itself, right to the most essential point of your own being, be called Buddha nature, birthright, you're endowed with, Buddha mind. But throughout the beginning of the session to the end of the session, from the beginning of our life to the end of our life, this, which is always present, is where the essence is. However, we can't just say, oh yes, I'm me, I got the essence here. You know, I'm wise and holy. There are some, because we are so caught by our own fixed ideas, there are some steps that we've taken. First thing, it's very important to be clear what we're paying attention to, what we want to pay attention to. That's everybody's choice. Pay attention to anything. But we come to Seishen, and in general, we want to pay attention to reality. We want to pay attention to the essence. We want to pay attention to what is most intimate. In this case, seeing the Buddha. The Buddha, of course, represents seeing our true nature. We want to pay attention. And secondly, we have to use the muscle of concentration to hold our attention onto whatever we want to hold it on. So if you're practicing with the breath, it takes a certain concentration, it takes a certain muscle to hold the attention on the breath or on sound 
or on being one with the whole body, or on awareness itself. Sometimes we use concentration with different kinds of support, and sometimes we use concentration with no support at all, different, different aspects of it. Sometimes we use concentration to be aware of the sensation below the nose. And sometimes we are aware of, use concentration to be aware of the whole body. And sometimes we use concentration to be aware of the whole room all at once. Next, it is very important that we are curious, that we're interested. The Buddha Dharma never reveals itself if we're bored. It never reveals itself if we just think, oh, hum, been there, seen that. We have to be really curious. What is it? Be really curious about our own life, really curious about our, our essence. If we have no curiosity, if we're not really interested, we just do the same old thing over and over. We see the same old story. So to be curious also means we have to be alert. So we decide what we're going to hold our attention on, what we're going to pay attention to. We become aware, alert, alert. And we have to be alert and alert and alert and alert and alert. And we exercise the constant muscle of alertness. Samadhi, absorption, one of the three aspects of Buddhist practice still is samadhi and prajna. Samadhi means absorption, means concentration, means means that we take our whatever we're working with and we become very intimate with it. We move in close to it. Sometimes some people talk, call it intensified. I, I like to think of it as like looking at a painting. If you're going to look at a painting, you move up close to the painting. You want to see it more clearly. You want to see what the strokes are like. Well, whatever we are concentrating on, we want to move up closely. We want to see it really intimately. It is that moving in closely, that intimacy, is the entrance gate to samadhi. As we are focused on whether it be big or small, with support, with, with, a, with support or without support, as we become focused, looker and looked, looker and looked, we begin to get closer and closer and closer. And the looker of what's being looked at harder and harder to tell things apart. It's very obvious. So if you feel your hand right here, right now, you feel your hand, you feel your hand in your hand. If you don't feel your hand in your head, if you don't feel your hand behind your eyes, you feel your hand in your hand. So if you really want to feel your hand very carefully, you think you may have a splinter in it or you're going to have a tingling in it, and you want to really explore it, you put your attention in your hand, and you feel it closely, intimately. We do that with whatever practice we're doing. We feel it closely, intimately, not from I'm back here behind my eyeballs trying to look at something out there. In my hand, feeling my hand. In the whole body, feeling the whole body. In the whole room, feeling the whole room. In awareness, feeling awareness whatever our particular practice happens to be. The I, which we take, I am looking, I'm doing this practice, is unfindable. It's unfindable. The I that feels the hand is unfindable. It's just feeling the hand. 
the body. Your eye that feels the body is unfindingly just feeling the body. The Buddha that sees the Buddha is unfindable, just seeing the Buddha. Now, this intimate experience, being intimate with our hand, being intimate with our body, being intimate with the room, whatever your particular way of practicing is, because all of them have, have a common thread, is not the same thing as our story about it. We all have stories about the story of my life, the story of my practice, the story of my story about my story about my practice. with stories on stories. An example is people often say, I'm tired. They say, well, what is tiredness? Well, they say, well, I've got this feeling that I feel a little tired. I say, okay, well, let's, let's examine it. Are your ears tired? No. Your chin tired? No. How about your left shoulder? Is it tired? No. Feet tired? No. Hands tired? No. Well, your right leg? Maybe your back is tired. Oh, my back is tired. Which part of your back is tired? The up part, down part, right side, the left side? The spine? Is your spine tired? Maybe that's where your tiredness is. And we go through and try to really find what where tiredness is. Finally, people say, oh, I have this feeling around my eyes. My eyes are tired. And of course, you can break that down, too. But we have a little sensation, or a big sensation, and we make up a story about it. We have a, a feeling around our eyes or a feeling in our back. We think, oh, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then after we make up that story, then, of course, you've got a beautiful story. Someone came in one time and said, oh, I'm, I'm so tired. I'm so worn out. I said, I can't hear you. I'm so tired. I can't hear you. I'm so tired! Sounds like you've got lots of energy to me. <clears throat> the sensations that we make stories up about are fine. But we move into, move into instead of moving away from. Move into. We don't make stories up about our hands or ourself. So many people have stories about their own inadequacy. It's just a story. My own, their own failure their own history of tragedy. Or they have a sensation, a story about, oh, I'm really, you know, I'm cool. I'm very smart, intelligent. I'm more loving than anybody else in the room. Uh -huh. <laughs> you know, it's just a story. So it's the fixed beliefs that we make up. We, we have these stories. We tell them to ourselves often enough. We tell them to ourselves over and over and over. And they, they coalesce, they coagulate into a fixed belief. Fixed view, a habit of mind, a fetter, a hindrance. And then, instead of being able to deal directly with the experience of our own being, we get caught by the stories about the stories about the stories. We get caught by our own fixed views. We have to keep coming directly back to experience, unmediated by our particular story. Now, when we talk about letting things, letting go, it doesn't mean I got this story and I'm going to start, start thinking about the story so hard that I'm going to let it go. It's like somebody comes and says, I want to end this relationship. 
and I'm going to go and talk to this person day and night until the relationship ends. I mean, it doesn't work like that. If you want to end a relationship with a fixed view, you have to turn away from the fixed view. You have to not relate to the fixed view. You have to turn away from the idea about things to the directly to the experience. You have to let it go in that way. There's a nice poem. Someone sent me called Old Maps No Longer Work. I keep pulling it out. The old map of my inner path. I squint closely at it, trying to see some hidden road that maybe I've missed. But there's nothing there now except some well-traveled paths. They have seen my footsteps often, held my laughter, caught my tears. I keep going over the old map. But now the roads lead nowhere. A meaningless wilderness where life is dull and futile. Toss away the old map, she says. You must be kidding, I reply. She looks at me with Sarah eyes and repeats, toss it away. It's of no use for your daughter. I have to have a map, I cry. Even if it takes me nowhere, I can't be without direction. But you are without direction. So why not let go and be free? So there I am, tossing away the old map, sadly, fearfully, putting it behind me. Whatever will I do, wails my security. Trust me, says my soul. No map, no specific direction, no this way ahead or take a left. How will I know where to go? How will I find my way? No map. But then somewhere in my heart whispers, there was a time before maps when pilgrims traveled by the stars. It's time for the pilgrim and me to travel in the dark. Learn to read the stars that shine in my own heart. I will walk deeper into the dark of my night. I will wait for the stars to trust their guidance and let their light be enough for me. We throw away the old maps and fixed ideas by turning away from them. A wonderful line from one of the koans is not knowing is most intimate. Not knowing is most intimate. Not knowing the story, not believing the story of who we are, not knowing where we're going, not knowing what tomorrow might bring. And then we can become very intimate with what's here right now the space with awareness itself. And we can realize everything comes from the mystery of our own being. Always, out of our awareness, new things are coming forth. Always. Always. That's what the Prajnaparamita is about. Endlessly creating. We all know about all the disasters which are imminent. The media is filled with them every day. 
We all know about the terrible storms and climate change and ISIS and the economy and the Middle East is still in crisis. But we don't really appreciate the endless potential, the endless creativity of our own being, the endless possibility of seeing things in a new way with new, fresh eyes. We drop the old maps, the old roads that we've gone down so many times, and we look freshly right here, right now. It's not about, well, I'll do it when I get out of here. Right here, right now. Perhaps the fresh wind. Perhaps right here, right now. Awareness itself. To see the Buddha, we have to turn away from all of our small-minded, self-centered views. What we think the Buddha is, what we think we are. After all, before we were, ch we were children, before words, we were still there. Before our personality developed, we were still there. What? is fundamental. Before words, what is fundamental? Before the stories, what is fundamental? The only way we can see that is by turning away from words and ideas and notions and looking at what is fundamental. And Dogen, of course, looks at what's fundamental from many different sides. As I mentioned in the beginning, he looks at it from the inside, from the outside, from the other side, from the downside, from the spinal, et cetera, et cetera. So let's look at awareness, though, for a minute. Now, first off, awareness is not a thing. It's like the ordinary mind. There is no such thing as the ordinary mind. It does not exist. You can't find it. There is no such thing as awareness. It does not exist. You can't find it. You can't put your finger on it. And yet, you can't measure it. You can't weigh it. There's no location. And yet, all of us are completely or intimately always aware. So let's look at awareness itself. Let's look at that intimate experience because that's part of what is involved with realizing what Dogen, the Buddha, talks about. So first off, awareness is always present. Always. In a way, time travels through us. We don't travel through time because awareness is always present. Even a little experiment you can do, you can do it however you want. As you feel your hand straight. Now you feel your hand straight, and in this moment you feel your hand straight. And now you curve your fingers. In this moment you feel your fingers curved. You straighten them up in this moment. Now this moment is always the change. The fingers are just changing in this moment. There's not a past finger and a future finger. There's just the changing in this moment. This moment changes. Fingers don't. This moment is always this moment. It's like the pixels on a computer screen. Computer screens don't move. The screens in theaters don't move. They're always present. And yet, in that presence, in that not moving, there's all sorts of activity and move motion. If we are only seeing the motion, 
if we're only seeing the hand kind of wandering around and wobbling all over the place, if we're only seeing that, we don't see this moment is always still and present. We miss it. We're looking from the outside in. We look from the inside out, so to speak. Not inside, but so to speak. So the first quality is awareness is always present. The beginning of the breath, the middle of the breath, the end of the breath, always present in this moment. Shakyamuni Buddha, 2,500 years ago, was only this moment. Awakening, his deep, full awakening did not happen some other time. There's only this moment. There's only awareness of this moment. We cannot be aware of anything other than this moment. We can be aware of memories in this moment. We can be aware of anxieties in this moment. We can only be aware of this moment. That's the first quality. Timeless. The second quality of awareness is it has no parts. It's not, I'll cut my awareness up into the right side and the left side. I'll cut my awareness up into the top side and the bottom side. There's just awareness. You can't divide awareness. You can divide the objects of awareness in all sorts of ways. They're infinite. But if we turn our attention to awareness itself, it has no object. It has no, no components. It's one thing. Awareness is not created. You don't say, now I'm going to create awareness. I'm going to create awareness out of nothing. Awareness does not exist, and now I'm going to make it exist. Awareness didn't exist. We're still aware. Awareness didn't exist. And then we become aware of awareness not existing, which is awareness. Can't get out of the loop. It's not created. It doesn't come into being. It's always there. It's always self-originating. When we ask questions, the koans like, who were you before your parents were born? Before your parents were born, where was your particular being? It's asking to look right at that place, the place that is not born. It's always present. Always. Secondly, it's always receptive. It sees everything, hears everything. It's empty, and so it can be filled with everything. Precious mirror, samadhi. Whatever comes in is seen. The mirror, the awareness itself, is uncontaminated. It's pure, all-encompassing. It's still. You know, if we're if we, we see we see motion because of stillness, because there's a, a contrast between what is still and what is in motion. We hear sounds because of silence. There is silence, and against the background of silence, there's these noises. Our awareness is always still, always present, always bright, always luminous. Even the darkness is seen. Light is seen, dark is seen, stillness is seen, motion is seen, silence is seen, here experience. Body, mind, large things, small things, the eight worldly awareness, the whole thing. Our awareness has infinite capacity. Awareness is not a thing. It does not exist. You can't find it. 
And so if you look at your hand, if you feel your hand right now, where do you feel your hand? You feel your hand in your hand. You feel your fist in your fist. You hear sounds and sounds. So awareness is awareness. Dogen says plum blossoms, experience plum blossoms. Buddhas experience Buddhas. Your own mind experiences your own mind. Your own mind and your own body always changing, never the same. Just that. Awareness is our whole life. This is the foundation of Shikantaza, for those of you who are doing it. An intimate awareness of our whole life, unseparated. Intimate awareness, not of this little part, and that little part, this part of the breath, that part of the breath, the whole thing. The whole thing, all of it passing through. Everything passes through. And it's not just this little personality life. It's when we're outside looking at the weather, the sky, the sun, the wind, the wonderful wind we had last night. We can't step outside of our life all our awareness. How wonderful. It's a nice poem by uh, Lissel Mueller. Monet refuses the operation. Doctor, you say there are no halos around the street lights in Paris. What I see is an aberration caused by old age and affliction. I tell you, it has taken me all my life to arrive at the vision of gas lamps as angels, to soften and blur and finally vanish the edges you regret I don't see, to learn that the line I called the horizon does not exist, and sky and water, so long apart, are the same state of being. Fifty-four years before I could see Rowan Cathedral is built with parallel shafts of sun. And now you want me to restore my youthful errors, fixed notions of top and bottom, the illusion of three-dimensional space, wisteria separate from the bridge it covers. What can I say to convince you that the Houses of Parliament dissolve night after night become the fluid dream of the tame Britain. I will not return to a universe of objects that don't know each other, as if islands were not the lost children of one great continent. The world is flux, and the light becomes what it touches, becomes water, lilies on water, above and below water, becomes lilac and mauve and yellow and white and cerulean lamps, small fists passing sunlight so quickly to one another that it would take long streaming hair inside my brush to catch it, to paint the speed of light. Our weighted shapes, these verticals burn to mix with air and changes our bones and skin and clothes to gases. Doctor, 
If only you could see how heaven pulls earth into its arms. Now infinitely, the heart expands to claim this world. Blue vapor without end. Blue vapor without end. To see our life, all things are our life, not separate. That's the question he's asking Pindola. You see this Buddha? You see this Buddha? It's not yes or no. It's not have or have not. He raises an eyebrow. He raises a hand. He breathes out. He shakes his robe. He goes for a walk. He looks at the marvelous sky. He reads a poem. He breathes. It's not separate. This is the antithesis of pride and arrogance. The antithesis of vying with others for dominance. It's the antithesis of I am the smartest or the most lovely or the most horrible. It's all beings, all of us have the same root, the same mind, the same eye, the same ear. Look intimately, closely. That's how we see the Buddha. Dongshan's Stream Gata. Just prior to leaving his master, Yunyan, Dongshan approached him and asked, if after many years someone should ask if I am able to portray your likeness, how should I respond? Same question. If someone were to ask, after many years, if I were to portray your likeness, how should I respond? Have you seen the Buddha? Having remained quiet for a while, Yunyan said, just this person. Just this person. Dongshan was lost in thought. Yunyan said, Yunyan said, Acharya, his teacher, honored him. Having assumed the burden of this great matter, you must be very cautious. Cautious in the sense, not of fearful, but you must be very meticulous. Attentive. Dongshan remained unclear about what Yunyan had said. Later, as he was crossing a river, Dongshan glimpsed his own reflection in the water below and experienced a great awakening. Dongshan immediately composed the following gata. 
yourself and listen to this guttering. Look for our own awareness itself. Dongshan stream gutter. Gutter just means point. Taking heed not to seek it elsewhere as if it were distant from myself. I now go on alone, and yet I meet him everywhere. He is now exactly me, but I am no longer, I am not now him. You should meet in this way, for only then will you realize essence. These are the words of a teacher who has begun to teach. Please have faith and confidence. Please have deep faith and deep confidence because you have every quality that allows that to be. The deep faith is not dogma. It is deep faith in your own intimate experience, which is not personal. And you have deep confidence because from that intimate experience, all things arise. Awakening is not some mysterious thing someplace else. It is the most intimate awareness. And yet, in order to know it directly, we have to turn away from this small-minded story that we have lived for so long. Have deep faith. The awareness that you have right now cannot be The source that is your own being right now cannot be sullied. Have deep confidence. Look directly and see for yourself what is most intimate. And then, as someone says, you see the Buddha? <laughs> 